All right. Uh, welcome to the Culture Class Podcast, uh, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds, uh, get to uh, learn about other cultures, see what's going on in other parts of the world, and welcome to yet another social distancing episode. How's it going, guys? <laughs> and uh, it's been funny because, you know, I, I was really worried because, you know, uh, over the past few weeks, uh, two, three weeks, I've been dropping these uh, Skype recorded episodes. I've been worried that the audio quality isn't as good, but I then came to realize that the numbers didn't really drop because a lot of people are spending time at home, so they need content to like keep them busy anyway. So thank you guys for listening. This is not the usual audio quality. I promise. You know, I'm trying my best. You know, to work with my producer to make it uh, top notch, but um, at least we're trying to disseminate information. Uh, today I have yet another guest on the episode. Welcome, Robert. Hey, welcome to me. I'm happy to be here. How's it going? How's uh, the social distancing quarantine been? So everyone kind of like has a different story, but so far so good. Yeah, I think, well, for me, what I feel awkward about is this life is not too different than my natural life because I'm an extreme introvert. So... What is quarantine life or social distancing? It's a typical thing for us. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually heaven. Um, so for other people, it's purgatory and it's perpetual hell. But for me, I actually feel like a million bucks. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, I, I, I was actually talking to my brother and, you know, I was talking about that. I'm the kind of person who can have a lot of associates in life but i have very few friends like i can count on one finger the number of friends i've had in my whole life and i'm 30 right maybe two or three or four wow, tops, wow, wow. you know something like that so because I, I really see especially now with uh, social media a lot of people just keep like surface level relationships like oh you know hey what's going on let's go grab a drink you know whatever but you know they don't really get to um you know, establish that connection. Uh, wow, yeah. So I guess, you know, it's teaching us, uh, this this quarantine is teaching us different things. Um, one thing this time has taught me, though, is that, and guys, please don't hate me for this, but I didn't realize the level of attention a lot of women seek until this social distancing period <laughs> and i'm gonna explain don't don't shut off the podcast just yet let me explain. this is canceled <laughs> let, let me explain uh, I, i'm not saying you know all women are you know attention seekers or whatever whatever um, yeah. a good number of women uh that i personally let me use myself uh, are you know are you know replying text faster texting more interested in my day not wanting to get off the phone sooner enough and i don't know what that says about me you can make up uh whatever you can jump to any conclusion if you're listening to this if you Sorry. will but i figured out hey wow that you didn't have this much time like two months ago like what what's going on is, is the boredom hitting you different <laughs> <laughs> it does hit different when you stuck in the house i will say that yeah 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 but i'm just joking i'm just joking you yeah. guys know i joke uh, so, Robert, um, obviously, this is Culture Podcast. I see we're recording this on Zoom, and obviously, I have my Zoom handle as Culture Class. I see you have yours as Culture Incorporated. Yeah. So, I guess we can start off um, getting to know a little bit about you. Who was Robert? Talk to me about Robert growing up. But what were you called as a boy? How many yeah. siblings do you have uh, growing up? What part of the country? Uh, yeah. You? 
Yeah, so for me, I have four brothers and two sisters. Mm. And I am originally from Chicago. Mm. And uh, so, um, which makes me a very unique individual because people from Chicago tend to be overarchingly pretty direct. Mm. Uh, people, really? yeah. I thought that was New York. <laughs> the, no, no, there's a spectrum. Uh, New York is at that far, and Boston, they're at the, the extreme end of things but Chicago's pretty up there and mm. so for me yeah I, I'm the second oldest of my family and uh, I enjoyed growing up mostly in the suburbs of Chicago ran track and cross country and oh you ran uh, cross country yes sir okay yeah yeah it took in time school to get or like professionally uh no in school and it it took time to get there because i grew up pretty overweight um but it was a goal to lose weight and uh be able to be physically fit so i eventually did that and i grew up playing saxophone and so yes okay you have to enunciate man because people might hear something different (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sax oh, oh got it got it uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. i uh so so yeah so i played in a lot of different orchestras or jazz bands and which was pretty unique uh for me especially in the area that i grew up in because it wasn't the most impoverished but it also was definitely not high class. I'll say it that way. Some people might disagree and say, hey, you know, uh, Robert is African-American. Some people might disagree and say, you know, to grow up in a, in the suburbs of Chicago, maybe not in, you know, what some might consider the inner city and you play instruments like the saxophone, not regular instruments like the piano or anything. And you run yeah. con- cross country, not, you know, participating in more popular sports, that, yeah. uh, football or something. That That is a really, uh, like, high class in a sense not True, to yeah. discredit yeah. your answer uh, but just to give, give us a little more context uh, in the coming parts of the interview on how uh, you were as a teenager would you consider your experience being fairly different uh, from the regular uh, you know uh, african-american kid like kind of like growing up in chicago maybe on the south side or something like that yeah, I think, I mean, so Chicago is this weird mixture, and it's kind of unique. Um, yes, it's different in some ways, but I, I feel like Chicago is this eclectic uh, bag of, of tricks, right? So mm. um, whether that's culturally, ethnic backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, you have people from my family who we were pretty poor growing up and we had to rent our instruments uh, for free from school mm. all the way to people in Oprah's socioeconomic status on oh, the wow. north side of Chicago. So, so there's this huge range. And, Wait, and so, so did you grow up in a musical family, a family that was interested in classical music, things like that? Yeah, I no, I was the first. Well, my father, I think he grew up playing trumpet. I was the first one to kind of take instruments seriously. And then then after me, one of my sisters is really musical. And then another brother, he became really musical. So um, eventually we kind of progressed into more of a musical family, right? So, so to answer your question, I, I think, yes, unique in some ways. Uh, I also think that the, the typical picture of Chicago, like whether it's in movies, 
or television shows is that there's this huge ghetto culture and that everyone's kind of shooting everyone up. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's typically what I see when I hear Chicago references, like this bloodbath uh, of a place. Mm-hmm. But I would I would Chicago's mostly not like that. I mean, that is a real subsection of Chicago for sure, but there are tons of black kids who grew up like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, it's just a hodgepodge group of people too, because there's like every ethnic group in Chicago too. So, yeah. Got it. I mean, I, I totally understand and I totally relate with you. You know, this is me who's from West Africa, right? From Nigeria. You sure, see the portrayal yeah. of Africa, yeah. uh, you know, in the media. And, you know, uh, some people tend to get, uh, and that's not to say those things aren't existing on the continent, but, you know, there is a whole different side to Africa and to Chicago, yes. to a lot of places. Because, you know, no one race, no one culture, no one city, no one state is a monolith. You know, we have exactly you know, uh, uh, different variations uh, within uh, those systems. Okay, yeah. so you're, you're this kid who, you know, you know ran cross-country uh, ran long distance, played the the saxophone. When you yeah. were a teenager, you know, when you were getting to those college years, um, talk to me about that time. Like, what did you do? Like, when you turned like seventeen, eighteen, a lot of people like get into college and like leave their city to you know go to a different city where they didn't grow up at. Did you end up doing that? Did you end up staying in Chicago? Did you join the military? What was your experience at that uh, at that age? Yeah, uh, good question. I definitely tried to get as far away from my family as I could. Um, That was my goal Uh, because my siblings are great, but I grew up in a very abusive household and my parents were very dysfunctional in a lot of ways, whether it was drugs and abuse. So my goal was to go as far away from my house as possible with the most amount of scholarship dollars, right? So mm. I ended up in Ohio. <laughs> and, uh, Where? At a school in Ohio. Ohio, Dayton, Ohio. okay. And uh, I had never even visited there, but did uh, the offer to go there. And I took a Greyhound bus and <laughs> moved to uh, my university. So my university experience was probably different than a lot of people's. I I was extremely depressed and suicidal, but I was happy to be away from home. A lot of people use college to like get all of their freedom out and they're like having tons of sex, they're doing all these drugs. And I was just like, I'm happy to be in a stable place. <laughs> so that yeah. so that I enjoyed college at least for that reason alone. Like I love learning, but being in a stable environment without abuse kind of was my goal. Was your goal? And mm. Yeah. And then for me, weird side note, I hadn't had a bed of my own until college. So college was also my first time like owning my own bed. So, oh, wow. so it was unique for me. What, what what was the situation back at home? Did you share a bed with the siblings? Did you like we slept on the floor? Mm. So um yeah, so we grew up that's a byproduct of growing up with too many siblings with a small paycheck so uh 
Yeah, so we we shared the floor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know, sorry to hear about you know the situation while you were growing up. You know, uh, they yeah. say there's kind of like a bright side uh, to every storm. Would you consider mm-hmm. the fact that you experienced you know abuse and you know you were in these terrible situations growing up as to contributing to you know, that stability or if I could call it focus in college, unlike, you know, people who came from a very loving family and, you know, they get to college and want to act wild and, you know, experiment with drugs and everything because they didn't really know that. But you kind of like seeing your parents go through that firsthand made you realize, uh, you know, negative effects of that and wanting to live a more stable life in college. Do you think there's there's a line to be drawn between both those circumstances? I do. I think... I'm always careful with that kind of question because I, I, I feel like sometimes people romanticize suffering. Mm. Um, and there's like, you know, God did this to me for a reason. I'm like, uh, I'm, I don't know that I should subscribe to that mm. notion, but I can say that it has uh, shaped my view of the world. Uh, it's given me a profound uh, empathy for people. I think that that more than anything, like I know what it's like to hurt and I know what it's like to, uh, be oppressed. And so I think Mm -hmm. in that light, um, it, it's made me all around like a very open hearted person, a very vulnerable person that really cares about people deeply. Mm -hmm. So I brought all of that to college, which was kind of countercultural for college, because typically in college, people are just in and out and they're really focused on themselves. Um, they're trying to get the most um, experiences uh, possible. So, yeah, it's kind of wild. Why did you study in, uh, in college? Uh, for me, I studied, I studied journalism. Sorry, I couldn't think of it. <laughs> and then later, religious studies, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I guess that explains your setup because I think you're like the first person. A lot of people that I interview on uh, on uh, Zoom or Skype, they just like don't care about the whole thing. Just use their laptop sound. I've even interviewed someone who used her phone uh, before, which was weird. Uh, but you have like the whole setup. Like you seem to obviously you, you produce a podcast which we'll talk about later but you know you seem to have all the gear from headphones yeah. to mics to yeah to everything ready for the interview but what mm-hmm. drove you to studying journalism did you see yourself interested in telling stories and capturing the stories of other people did you feel like you had a story to tell yourself or you just sort of like stumbled into the major as you were applying for college is there a story there These are good questions. (laughs) My answer is not deep. I literally studied journalism because I couldn't figure out what else to study. And I, I remember my senior year in high school going back and forth about what I should do. And so I, I thought to myself, what is the least amount of work I could do in a profession for the most amount of money? Uh, mm. journalism it, really it, yeah because writing was never complicated for me oh, so got it, got it. so Keep then yeah so then it's like okay well write some stories for money i can do that <laughs> like mm. i get um and then i visited uh the chicago tribune um in mm. school and i loved it because the guys I shadowed, uh they were honest like yeah we don't do a lot <laughs> so um so 
I personally loved it. And uh, that's kind of how I decided. Got it, got it. I mean, some journalists might be listening to this now in the heart, in the heat of the COVID COVID nineteen. I'm sorry, I said COVID COVID nineteen yeah. pandemic, and say, look, we're working every day covering this whole pandemic. Yeah. But I guess it's it can be cyclical in a sense, and if it comes naturally to you, it's not as bad. I know for me, even though I've had experience, you know, doing a little bit of writing, like you know, running a magazine with my yeah. brother and running a website with my brother, like. Podcasting, I underestimated podcasting to be honest. I also thought, hey, I'll just record this stuff on my phone, throw it out there. I didn't, you know, take into consideration prepping for the interview, planning, yeah, editing the episode, yeah. publicizing on social media, all that stuff. So uh, it's it's good to know that you know that comes naturally to you. What else, like, do you feel are things that you're naturally inclined to? I mean, you talked about music and sport did you have other extra interesting extracurricular uh, activities what did the city of ohio the state of ohio permit for young black men <laughs> when you were in college yeah. <laughs> and fyi does any journalists out there listening that was my experience you guys worked very hard um that was just how i decided okay so mm. uh <laughs> don't kill me in the comments but i um so activities, I'm actually kind of boring uh, to other people, uh, both in college and now I'm probably like extremely boring to people in my hobbies. But in college, um, especially in Ohio, there wasn't, Ohio isn't like this booming state where there's like tons of things to yeah, that, do. That, that's why I asked. Yeah, 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 like especially <laughs> Dayton, Ohio is like, especially when I was there, it was like nothing to do there. So I hung out a lot with my friends um, and mostly it was like playing games, playing cards. Um, AOL instant messenger was the thing when I was in college. Oh yeah. So, yourself right now. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was, um, <laughs> so way back in those dinosaur days, uh, a lot of hours wasting time on AOL instant messenger was a thing, but yeah, I think uh, then uh was mostly just eating, sleeping, and hanging out with your friends was mm. the extent. And then I lo- I've always loved reading. So mm. so between those things and uh, trying not to gain the freshman 15, um, I, yeah. I was busy. I mean, it sounds like my life right now. Like what I yeah. do, the things I'm interested in. So uh, if I'm watching, like I don't have a TV at home. And if I'm watching anything on my laptop, it has to be some kind of, most of the time anyway, it has to be some kind of documentary or something I can learn well, from, well, yeah. especially if it's surrounding, you know, something that I have I have no idea about, you know, just try to, you know, broaden my mind, really mm-hmm. focus on my podcast. That's pretty much been my hobbies for the last couple of months or even the last, you know, two, three years. So, you know, I moved to Denver, you know, Denver is a really outdoorsy place where you yeah, go to the yeah. office on Monday morning and people will tell you know, how they climbed the what what they call it the fourteeners and they yeah, yeah. And, and they went hiking here and they, they they went to the ridge here or went kayaking this place or went skiing in the mountains. Oh, what yeah. did I do? I was like, uh, I did a podcast interview <laughs> over the weekend. Oh I talked gosh. to someone from Somalia and. After like two, three weeks of saying the same thing, people just stop asking me what I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, you know, but we are who we are, right? You know, there are things that yes, excite yes. us. And, you know, yeah. I've published uh, 65 episodes of the podcast. I've published one every hey. week for the last one year nonstop. And I obviously wouldn't have been able to do that if it's not something I'm interested in. And I say all this to say, you know, 
you know, some people might say that's boring or whatever, but we, we like what we like and we're interested yes, yes, in what yes. we're interested in. I think that's what makes us uh, human at the end of the day. Everyone is like kind of different. No one is. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. But yeah. yeah, after college, uh, and I'm starting to like lead up to your Japan experience because I know you lived there for several years. When did that happen exactly? Was it immediately after college? And maybe we should start with, what brought you to the realization of living in another country? I mean, up until now, you had lived in the suburbs of Chicago, only leaving to go to Ohio, which is not too far away. Uh, what brought you to the realization of wanting to venture further? Did you just stumble on an opportunity, maybe the student magazine or something that, hey, calling people would be interested in, you know, teaching English in Japan? Or you always wanted to, like, take a risk and, you know, maybe venture out beyond your comfort zone? Yeah, I, I never wanted to be overseas at any point in time, ever. Uh, <laughs> that was definitely not in the 10-year uh, goal uh, planning. So for me, I a number of things that happened in between uh, college and actually getting on the plane to Japan. What I would say of things that are pertinent are I um, I switched universities. I traveled back to Illinois and went to a university in Illinois for a short time. Mm. And while I was there... What was the reason for that? Sorry to cut you short. No, you're totally fine. Um, finances were was a big thing. It became a big thing. And and so I on a whim, I, I decided to apply to a school in at the southern tip of Illinois. And again, I just got on the Greyhound bus and made my way to southern Illinois. And I had never been there either. And um, and so got there. And while I was there, I experienced a lot of good interactions with people of different ethnic groups, kind of for the first time. Because Chicago is very, very diverse, but it's also very segregated. So what's weird is if you go to downtown Chicago, you'll see all these people groups. And the assumption would be like, man, they almost interact. Um, at my experience, where I was in the south side of Chicago is we didn't. And a lot of kids, especially take one dynamic between Africans, especially Nigerians and African-Americans in Chicago in particular. Mm. Um, there was this animosity there uh, because... Black parents, uh, African-American parents would um, say, hey, you don't want to be like Africans. And then Nigerian kids in, in the South Side of Chicago, their parents would tell them, hey, you're not Black. Like, you're, like you are not one of these African-American kids. So even though we were in the same space, it was like we were very far apart. So all that to say is when I got to my new university, I started um, going to a church there and it was so ethnically diverse that they had literally like every people group under the same or the university or both. At the both, both. Mm. And what I thought was so cool was they, in the church I went to, they had ethnic Bible studies and mm -hmm. they encouraged everyone to venture outside of your um, ethnic group and visit another Bible study. And so I started going to African Bible study and that was so, it was like the first time seeing something completely outside of myself. And I just loved it. The way that I was received all the different um, countries that was represented in that group. And um, 
I would play soccer with some of the Africans. And, and so from there, started interacting with Japanese Bible study and those, those uh, individuals. And, and so long story short, uh, I think it was over time, I started to find this love with understanding people that are different than me and who look different and who have different experiences than I do. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have access to that when I was a kid. But as an adult, it was like this whole wide world was open to me. So I, I I had this opportunity to travel to Japan first on a short stint to teach English. And I it was hard because I had never even been on an airplane. What, was that opportunity presented to you by the church or the university or it was just some um, like a Both. job? Okay. Yeah, kind of kind of both. And and so it was it was really cool because not cool. It was it was frightening for me because I hadn't even been on an airplane. And this was after wow. how old were you at this point? This was after so probably 23, maybe. Mm. Um so um and so this was like a whole new world, like being on an airplane. My first airplane ride is essentially going 14 hours overseas. Um, so, so that was like, I mean, people who have grown up in different places, that probably would not be as alarming. But for me, I never thought originally that I would leave my state. So then, um, and I had only ever been to Ohio and Indiana before that. And so then to be in a different country was eye-opening. And uh, so on that short trip, I fell in love with Japanese people, Japanese culture, and my mind was shifted again to embrace people. People. Wait, oh, oh, yeah. hold on one second. Let's put a pin in that. Talk to me. I want to know your experience. What airport in Japan did you touch down in? You flew to what city did you fly to in, in Japan? Tokyo. So Tokyo. Narita Air, Airport. Okay. Yeah. So what was that first few minutes like touching down in the, the airport in Tokyo and like those first few hours? Just like getting yeah. out of the airport, maybe getting to your hotel or your residence or something. Yeah, it was. Well, the the flight was maddening uh, because yeah, that that was frightening. So for hours, I still felt nervous, and I was traveling with friends, and they were giving all these stupid statistics, like you're more likely to die on the ground than you are in the air and um <laughs> that's actually not helpful because if i if i get in an accident in a car i there's a greater likelihood of getting up um if we get in an accident in this air we're gone so so anyway so then so actually setting down in narita airport going through customs was like nerve-wracking i felt like i was going through the soviet union um mm interrogation chamber but it really wasn't that intense but for me it felt so intense because they're asking you questions about why are you here and i why feel so yeah. nervous because i've never had that experience right and like i don't know why am i here i just <laughs> it's funny you said that because that's what every or almost every african experiences when they come to the u.s yeah, so yeah just to draw yeah. just to draw that similarity between at least african and african americans for for yeah. for a brief second there but go on yeah, so it was just I just was so nervous, and um, and then interacting with them, it it that was eye opening, and finally getting through customs, getting your stuff, and my first stop was McDonald's. Um, oh wow! Which Japanese McDonald's? It's the truth. I just like I don't eat McDonald's in America uh, because I like to live. 
Wow, but, this is someone who comes from Illinois, the birthplace. I know, yeah, yeah. I just, I can't. But the Japanese McDonald's is the, whew, is the whole truth. Wait, what exactly? Truth. Is it the burgers? What exactly? What meal exactly? Well, uh, well, I don't discriminate because I like eating. But, uh, but the burgers, everything. Well, one, what's weird is like it actually is like food. Like it's actually like made from meat. So which feels so different because ours has all these fillers in it um, to make it cheaper, right? Um, and yeah. they're like, like this burger is actually made from <laughs> meat. Um, and yeah, they just have cool stuff like an ebi burger, like which ebi is like shrimp in Japanese. So things that we don't have here um, are on their menu. And it was just, it was a cool experience to be in another country eating something that is quote unquote familiar, yeah. but it's so different. Yeah. And that was so cool to me. Like um, hearing Japanese for the first time was cool to me. Uh, getting on a bus. And those oh, you first... took a bus. Okay. Yeah. How, how was that? Did you, how is it? Don't, don't, don't hit me CTA, uh, Chicago Transport Authority, <laughs> but <laughs> compared to the CTA. <laughs> um, Talk to me. <laughs> It, uh, I can't say everything that happens on the CTA probably on this podcast, but I will. Do, so to keep it G-rated, I will say that it is much different than the CTA. Um, so How did lot, you pay? Did you pay with cash or is this, uh... Yeah, so you have to get your money changed over in the airport. And luckily, uh, I had a Japanese friend come and guide us, and and so I wasn't completely adrift. So that it was just so. Cool. Like everything was eye opening. Like if you've never been on an airplane and then suddenly you're like on foreign soil, mm. it is just the like coolest experience uh, to me. And I just felt so grateful. Like, man, I just never thought I would be able to ever experience anything outside of my culture. You know, like I come from an impoverished background. And so to be there was so cool. So being on the bus and looking at the countryside and it's completely alien that experience like i'll never forget that experience in my life because i could have been on a different planet for all i knew like mm. these the highway is completely different where you drive on the side of the road is different like everything is completely alien foreign um yeah everything so i just that was I felt completely exhausted by the time we got to our destination because I just was like complete stimulus overload to me. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Talk to me about your job a little bit. So when you taught English, did you teach English to like high schoolers or what was the situation like? Because I want to like kind of like ask you about comparisons between uh, the Japanese and U.S. Uh, oh, yeah. I've got tons of thoughts on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so kind of a wide swath of people. So I, I helped um, teach and at the university level at university of Tokyo um, and Waseda university uh, because I had some contacts there. And then um, I also did private lessons on the side with a wide range of like children, um, young, young, young children, middle schoolers, adults, um, older, older people. And, um, the beauty of speaking English is like, especially all over Japan and probably Asia in general, but especially in Tokyo, there's this high value on speaking English. Mm. So if you just speak English, like 
you could really make a business for yourself um, in general. Yeah, yeah, like- I'm moving next week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So a lot of people do, they they move there, it's like because they like Asian culture and then you have this hot commodity, which is speaking English, right? So, Mm. yeah, so, yeah. Did you experience, so in interacting with Japanese people, um, from what I heard, and I might be totally wrong, you know, a couple of books I've read says the, the Japanese culture, um, the average Japanese person is very polite, right? So you don't really have people bumping into each other in the subway or in the buses. And, you know, if you're in a business meeting, like the business meeting is very polite. You pay a lot of respect and reverence to your business partner or whoever you're doing a transaction with because, you know, you see him as an equal. You both are doing business together. And to a large extent, you know, everyone is polite to the extent that no one complains a lot. So there's not a lot of complaint and there's not a lot of people like, you know, shouting on the street or everything that even um, how the Japanese eat is kind of like modest and like little chunks and like, Things is that a, a correct assumption from uh, research or just bits and pieces of it? Yeah, no, I would say that that's uh, correct. I mean, there are so many differences in culture from Japan, from the student level to just the general culture level. Between that and pretty much the rest of the world, but overarchingly, I would say that there's they're polite and they're a very communal culture more so than I can even imagine. And I've been around a lot of people groups, but they almost explicitly think about what is good for the whole. Mm. And so when I was there, a a question you don't ask people are like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, wow, that that was the weirdest question for them because that's like, that's such an individualized worldview that they're like, it was almost like, who can like, why is that even relevant to wow. this conversation? Like what? Like <laughs> so I they had trouble thought about it that way. Hmm. Yeah, because th- their thought is they're so. From my from my experience was their thought is so subsumed within the group mm. that that is irrelevant. Like like this individual. Like let me stoke your dreams and desires. Yeah. So everyone operates as a unit and, you know, growing up, you would find your place within the unit to contribute towards society. Is it something like that? Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, and so that affects every strata of society in Japanese culture. Mm. You don't shame your parents by being a failure. Like you will be whatever you can be to make the whole look good. So it's irrelevant, like, oh, you don't want to be a doctor? I'm so sorry, little boy. Like... Mm. If your father's a doctor and everyone's like looking to you for certain things, it's like, that's probably what you're going to be. So like, it doesn't matter. I mean, your individual thoughts don't matter when you're on a train, as you were talking about, or a bus. Mm. It's quiet. Like, it's actually quiet. And it is, I mean, nobody does this. Um, Only Americans or Africans or people from other places who aren't aware um, of, of the rules. But like, no one answers your phone on a bus. Really? It doesn't matter. Yeah, like it doesn't matter if you're like, my wife's calling. Like everyone, it, it like everyone will just look at you like, what is? What, what if is you're talking in like low tones or something? That happens, but it's like quick. Like if you pick up the phone, it's like 
it's the quietest like i've got to go like what do you want thank you okay wow in the bus like like, here here is the opposite like a lot of people talk to their significant other in their commute so if i'm taking a 40 minute train ride or bus ride that's when i spend talking to my girlfriend or whatever yeah because their thought is why should we all be inconvenienced by your conversation wow wow yes so like it's irrelevant that you want to talk to your wife Mm. so like you can message her via text but like we all are part of this society. Oh, does that mean the texting culture is more prevalent? I Well, I guess now with social media all over the world, but more so, I guess, in Japan? A lot more yeah, people uh, use yeah. chat. Yes, and also their technology has been way more advanced than most of the world for a long time. So yep. even when I first went, before we really even had smartphones, they had smartphones and texting was absolutely normal. So, mm. um, so that was like years before we even had it. So, so yeah, chatting is normal. Chat rooms, all those things were like absolutely. Normal. Did you get to visit any historical uh, or memorable place in Tokyo? There's this city just outside Tokyo. I, f- I forgot what it is. It's kind of like this historic city it pretty much has been left untouched over time i I have forgotten what it's called but a lot of tourists i track it's like an hour train ride from tokyo or something what are the places you got to like visit while you were living yeah i got to visit a number of places i i wanted to visit hiroshima and nagasaki but i was always back and forth of whether i should go because that's still a sore point Mm -hmm. um so i don't um um but I visited a lot of different places, both in the the countryside of like near Niigata or um, near Lake Yamanaka and Mount Fuji. And um, we went to Mount Fuji. Yeah, like I didn't go up, like relax. But oh. uh, I, I was in the vicinity of Mount Fuji. But but I so yeah, and then. Tokyo is this very, very interesting, brilliant place for for a traveler because each kind of either suburb or city surrounding Tokyo or even train stop is like a whole vast new world. Like it's the most unique place on earth. Like you like a normal like, oh, I'm just going to take the train and I'm going to take it 20 minutes into another part of Tokyo. And when you get off, it's like, am I even in the same place? Like, this is like, is it kind of like the, and you know, I don't mean to be, uh, I'm not trying to be offensive or anything, but is it kind of like the hunger games, you know, when they were on the train and making stops in different regions and that the regions had just a different way of life that was different from the previous region, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly like that. And it's so beautiful and cool. And there's this place like Akihabara, like that's, it's just so unique or bueno or places where you go and it's like all electronics and like literally ever like the whole point of that whole place is uh electronics so every type of electronic you could think of is in this place and you go there for it and it's so cool or there's like one stop where you go and it's all kind of based on like this like comic sketch of like uh people dressed as maids and it's it's really? so unusual so you're like going to coffee shops and like everyone is like in a maid outfit and it's just so it's just so unique like there's nothing like that in in america like tokyo yeah. is such a unusual place like yeah 
did you get to learn? I mean, you were teaching uh, Japanese folks like English. Did you get to learn any Japanese yourself? Yes. Yeah. And I love it. And I can communicate like on a child's level. Like I, um, there's a lot of things that I cannot express. Like if you're like, talk about like deep things of the heart, I can't access that level mm. currently. But to live there, to thrive there, to be there, like I can understand what's going on. What's going on. Um, and so like, because I can communicate on ch child's level, it makes it difficult when people would ask me questions directly because that would make me so like nervous and I would have to access this deep place. But if people are having conversation, I'm like, okay, I understand the general, yeah, the general gist of what's going on. And I never felt intimidated really um, to be there unless I was in the deep, deep countryside Got with it. people who didn't understand English at all. But, mm. but yeah, so, so yeah. So Japanese is a cool language. Uh, it, is very easy to um, pronounce the sounds like there are no exceptions like in English like we'll have like 800 different sounds. like there's a simplistic sounds yeah um, yeah so I is it, like I, I think I read somewhere way back like the Japanese alphabet has almost like a thousand characters or something like that well are those just yeah. variations of the variation variating sounds of certain letters or, or something yeah so they kind of have like three different alphabets if mm. you want to say it that way um it's not the, the exact same as english because like their their sounds are sounds and like a, a symbol might mean like a whole word so it's a little bit different but but let's say it's three alphabets so like hiragana katakana and then kanji and kanji it's it's so interesting Wait, because hiragana katakana and kanji those are the yes three? okay and and kanji is what people uh would think of with um it's associated with chinese characters mm. so a kanji uh character is the same as a Chinese character, but the pronunciations are different, which is which is weird. I don't I don't know the exact history, but in those in kanji, which um, so is it like bagel and bagel kind of thing? Like yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Okay. So in the, it's like it, so they're the same root, right? So like a Chinese person can read something that's in kanji. Um, and so there are thousands of characters. I think there's like over 3000 characters just in kanji alone. Wow. Um, so wow. that's, so I don't know like any kanji characters personally. Um, personally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell us what you do know, man. Like speak a little something Japanese, like something simple. Like, hey, my name is Rob. Uh, I'm on this podcast. I'm enjoying myself or, you know, whatever. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, Oops, I put him on the spot. No, no, no. It's okay. Anato um, So Jesus loves you very much. Yes, uh, so, Wait, what's Jesus in Japanese? Yes, kind of the same as yes, most languages. Oh, got yeah. it. Yes, 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 Anawa. Close. Anato. Anato. Oh, Aishite Imas. Anato o Aishite Imas. Yep. Oh, hey, okay. Got it. I think okay. I can survive in Tokyo. <laughs> uh, you could because they're pretty gracious, I think. Like, they're pretty, pretty gracious. Got it. Yeah. Got it. I mean, you were there for a long time, you know, on and off, kind of like for six years. Like, wow, that's a, 
long time, even though you went back and forth uh, to, to, to stay uh, in a particular country. And I'm sure you must have immersed yourself in the culture to an extent, that even though you're here back in the state, is there something you find yourself not doing or doing because of your extended stay in Japan? Yeah, I love that question. Um, well, one, I would say it changed the whole experience and it changed me dramatically because it helps me understand being an alien in a foreign culture. Mm. And it gave me profound empathy of what immigrants go through in America. Mm. And it, I mean, it just totally transformed how I thought of immigration, immigration reform. Um, it gave me so much respect for um, immigrants who come to America and they're trying to learn English. And I feel like a lot of Americans are very harsh, like, why don't you know <laughs> English? But trying to learn a foreign language, and even now, like a lot of my um, Japanese is fading. So I, I've like recommitted recently to like, I want to re-up on that because it's fading over time because I don't interact with Japanese people. But mm. but yeah, so I, what I would say is like, I have this profound empathy, but I also like am very sensitive to the needs of a group. And um, I find myself like thinking more like a Japanese person, like, mm. like something that something small is uh, like in Japan, everybody, when you're on an escalator, everyone moves to the left side if you're going up. Mm. Like everyone does, like it's universal in Japan uh, because you're thinking about the group because what if somebody wants to go around you? And so I find myself doing that here and feeling so frustrated that not that, everyone is on the left. Yeah, yeah, like everyone's <laughs> just doing whatever they want. I'm like, move to the left. It kind of, it kind of was that way in DC, though. Like when I lived in Washington DC, uh, everyone moved to the left. Most people, you still have one or two people on the right, but most people like move to the left. Maybe because DC has a lot of, uh, has a lot of foreign influence, being a pretty international city where people come from from all over the world. But but it's interesting you mentioned, you know, you having the experience of, uh, you know, like a pseudo-immigrant, a pseudo you know, in a, in a different culture, an immigrant in another country, which is kind of interesting because like you said, rightly so, and I'm speaking from an immigrant perspective, uh, you know, most Americans take for granted. And yes. Someone kind of like made an analogy to me or told me an analogy that being an immigrant is kind of like being left-handed. So if yeah. you're left-handed, you're more, there are a lot of things, I am right-handed, right? So there are a lot of things I don't think I don't think about. Like if I'm buying a laptop, I don't care. I just buy a laptop. If I'm buying golf clubs, I just buy golf clubs. If I'm walking into a room, uh, let's say university, and I need to take some notes, I don't care. I can sit down anywhere. But if I'm left-handed, yeah. I kind of like want to sit at the edge where my left hand won't disturb the other person using his right hand. You know, yeah. Right. Or if I'm buying a laptop, I want to buy one or a golf club. I, I want to buy like left-handed golf club or buy a laptop yeah. where the touchpad is kind of like centered enough for me to comfortably use my left hand. So that's how like immigrants are. Like you get to a place and you haven't totally figured it out. Oh, this is new. The language, filing taxes, getting a job, social security, housing. And we're just trying to figure it out on the fly. And, you know, most of us do a great job in acclimatizing to the American culture in a short time. So in less than five years, we're there, right? 
but you know mm. it still takes us time to get to that point and i really appreciate you like you know saying that and using that analogy because i can really identify with that uh, especially me uh, as being from nigeria being from africa yeah because I, I i think it's it's made me so sensitive and it's made me so curious like i have this this hunger to coming back from japan like i want to know your experience like i because i am unaware of how my society is uniquely shaped to fit me right and now looking at the lens of immigrants i'm like wow this must be rough like in the, like your analogy of the left hand like i don't think about anything when i walk into a room like <laughs> a room is uniquely set up in my society to fit my right-handed needs exactly right? so, so yeah yeah and uh you know uh it's i was talking to uh, uh garcelle uh on a previous episode uh, mm-hmm. and we're just talking about you know some of these intricacies between africans and african americans you know, and i thought mm-hmm. that one of the ways i feel you know we can strengthen the unity between both those groups is you know being open to learn about the other person so yeah. if you stay in one uh of those groups be african or african americans and you don't open yourself up to you know participate you talked about you know playing soccer with Africans, you know, get into fellowship with Africans, things like that. And even on the flip side, not just being African and coming here and sticking to, even though the easy thing to do would be sticking to the African community, visiting only the yeah, African store, yeah. watching only African movies. I'm like, why the hell did you come to America? You might as well have stayed home. Like, I know people who do that, that they've lived here for yeah, 10 yeah, years, yeah. but they watch just African movies. They, they, they stick to the African community. They work in an African-owned establishment. So it's kind of like yeah. an African experience. But, you know, once we're willing to, oh, you know, let's try what's going on. Uh, in the yeah. And that's one of the objectives of this podcast, to be honest. Like, even though I grew up, uh, my dad was in the military. So, you know, go, going to all places all around Nigeria, experiencing different cultures, and even coming to the U.S. and, you know, experiencing uh, other cultures uh, here, living in D.C. and traveling to different places, I kind of like wanted to document some of those conversations. Yeah, yeah. That can get to know that through our conversations, you know, we're not too different uh, after all. Yeah, I think uh, I want to comment on the the nature of Africans and African Americans, if I can. Like, mm-hmm. I man, I love <laughs> like I love uh, interacting with all different kinds of Africans, right? So, like in college, there there were a lot of Kenyans and Nigerians, um, and that was so fast. I mean, it was. I think you can't understand what it's like to grow up African-American and, and always kind of like have this affinity in your heart for the continent of Africa that maybe some Africans might even take for granted. Mm. Um, but because it's almost like you feel homeless eth- ethnically. Um, and so being embraced by a lot of Kenyans and um, Nigerians in college really changed me. And um, throughout my life, like I've had a lot of Kenyan, Nigerian, Ethiopian and Eritrean friends were probably the dominant uh, ones that I've interacted with. And something that I've loved is how communal um, all of those, those ethnic groups tend to be. And it's just, it's so beautiful because like, there's a lot of overlap between that and African-American culture. Like, Mm. um, like the family is important and being together in community is important and so i love that and the and the thing that i i most like i'll say this about nigerians that i like is so this is an oversimplification but in a number of like interactions with nigerians i feel like 
they are very animated. Like even the quietest Nigerian, like if there's like a topic that they're like passionate about, it's like mm. completely transformed. Don't talk, don't talk to yeah. me about the NBA. Look, the Chicago Bulls cannot beat the New York Nets. There's nothing you would tell me. Yeah, and like and, it's who and we like, are, man. Yeah, like African American people are like that, but then like Nigerians are like this next level. So even what's considered yelling, yeah, is like not even the same. Like. Like I went to a Super Bowl party that was all Nigerians, and I think they were all, they were all Yoruba. Uh, but like, what was just so interesting is like the volume level at just a normal talking mm. decibel was like it would probably feel aggressive to most other people looking in because yeah. their volume just to say like no, they're stupid. They're like it was just wild. But for me, I'm like I'm enjoying this. Like yeah. I know they're not angry at all. It was beautiful to me. It took me a while, like, to learn when I started driving in the U.S. It took me a while, like, maybe almost a week to learn not to honk my horn so much. Because <laughs> yeah. back home, that if you're on the road, everybody's like, bah, bah. They, you, they honk the horn to greet. Like, if you see someone on the road, you'd be like, bah, bah, bah. Yeah. you're going to get out of the way. Bah, bah, bah. If you're just bored sitting in traffic, bah, bah. so everyone is like... Yeah. Honking the horn is just what we do, right? <laughs> yeah, that's not, we don't like that over here. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's the passion and, you know, um, anything yeah. we do, uh, you know, we, we, we like to be passionate about it. And I like saying this, I'm being transparent, totally transparent, whether we choose to do something good or something bad, whether if we choose to be Superman or Lex Luthor, we'll do it to the best of our abilities. So <laughs> that's just kind of who we are. Um, it's true. And one, one other thing that I love, I'll just say this. Mm-hmm. I went to um, a friend of mine, Tolu, he was getting married in Atlanta. And it was the first uh, African wedding that I'd ever been to, period. And that was an experience. Oh, you, must have been, you must have been in for it. Tolu, so it's Yoruba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, okay. And so... Uh, yeah, all. Do you watch the Nigeria. money spraying? The, the, the yes, 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 okay. yes. So, like, <laughs> and he married a white woman, and she was totally embraced by the Yoruba culture. It was so beautiful because I thought like this might be tense because he didn't marry an African girl, but no. All of his uh, Nigerian family from Chicago and Atlanta, his church family from both, they're mm. all there. So, like, hearing like all of these Yoruba people singing, like white people and African-American people were a minority. But yeah. there was hundreds and hundreds of Yoruba people singing all together. And I'm like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever heard. Like, I actually wish this was like documented as like a documentary yeah. because it was so... That, it doesn't like, need to be a documentary. It happens every weekend. <laughs> yeah, it was just so... I mean, I mean, I cried because I'm... I'm a sensitive person anyway, but like just hearing like these heartfelt songs that were so foreign to me, but were like very basic to this people group was so beautiful. And then like even all the things like, you know, making the money rain down on the couple, I just saw it was so beautiful because it was like the community's uh, responsibility to take care of this new couple and just like, yeah. Like, and then even the pastor saying, like, hey, don't throw small bills at this mm-hmm. couple. Like, throw large bills. I was like, what? <laughs> this is like so opposite of American culture. Yeah, that sounds like a Nigerian like, pastor for sure. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was like, <laughs> uh, don't just do fives and tens. I'm like, yikes. So it was so, I mean, the whole thing, like, from the young to the youth to the old, 
were just so exuberant and like really happy. And I just, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my, yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I mean, over the course of this interview, you know, you've made a lot of references to like uh, your, your, your faith, you know, uh, obviously you're a Christian. Uh, you, you've talked a lot about, you know, uh, operating in that world, uh, you know, without sounding too... Preachy, uh, preachy. <laughs> Without being too inquisitive, I mean, can you talk a little bit about your experience with religion? Because, you know, different people, I guess, have different... What is Christianity to you? Why did you feel it had to be such an important uh, part of your life? And how has it influenced your life to make you a, a better person? Yeah, I love that question. I So I grew up as an atheist by choice. And, really? Um, yeah, wait, yeah. Wait, 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 yeah. wait. You weren't just like, hey, you know, whatever I do, what I do. You made the conscious decision to be an atheist yeah, that you yeah. didn't believe in the existence of. Yeah. What was the reason? Period. Uh, well, a lot. Uh, <laughs> I would actually, especially, I would actually flip the question usually on people like, what would be the reason that I would? Uh, so for me, looking at the natural world was a clear, like it, it, it was abundantly clear why there is no God. Mm -hmm. uh, the world is a hot, horrible mess. And when you, I mean, like, I, I mean, they're like, there is zero, to me, the burden of proof would be on Christians because, or any, any people group or any faith really, like, the existence of a higher power i'm like just look at this place like it's it's the worst i hate it here so mm. um so i was very scientific and i still am re relatively and a very calculated person and so when looking at the world in the way that i moved throughout the world i just thought if there is a higher power who loves anything then this is a cruel joke <laughs> because my parents were abusive my whole upbringing was terrible um actually a lot of my life has been tragic um and so so for me it it wasn't like this big leap to get there i'm just like no this is the worst i hated here like <laughs> like no there isn't a higher power who loves people so for me um i didn't step foot in a, a, a church until college um and uh and so long story short um I had a lot of uh, Christians trying to reach out and get me to go to Bible study. Um, but joke was on them because I was an atheist. Mm. So I used a lot of opportunity to talk a lot of Christians out of their faith. Um, so it kind of backfired for them. But through a series of events, um, in Easter 2004, I became a Christian. So uh, convincingly, like I had an encounter convincingly enough to show to me that there is a God, right? So. Um, one, I feel bad for all the Christians I talked to out of their faith. Um, but uh, so I would say what it means to, to me in particular is it has made almost this container for all of my life experiences and the things that I intuitively know, the way that I see the world and the way that I view people is kind of there's this container that Christianity uh, 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 is used to kind of contain that. Mm -hmm. And and so what I feel bad is some Christians tend to be very judgmental 
very religious, very rules oriented, very mm. um, abrasive. And I pride myself on not being that way because I believe in a God in general that commands me to dwell with understanding with other people. So for, Mm. yeah, so yeah. So for me being around other religions or Muslims or any, or atheists, like it actually doesn't bother me at all. Like Mm -hmm. I actually, in some ways I've, I mean, this is commercial, but in some ways I prefer to be around people who don't believe in God um, because they're usually more honest and, and raw. And uh, so I'm like, I, I would prefer to know a whole person, not just because they happen to be a Christian. So it it impacts me. It makes me sensitive in how I move throughout the world because I understand what God means to me and how he views people. And I believe there's a profound dignity in each person. Um, regardless of their ethnic background or religious background. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And that's something I've come to uh, more realization of living in the U.S. I mean, I did have that realization. I mean, growing up in Nigeria, Nigeria is extremely conservative, extremely pretentious, to be honest. I couldn't understand how people go to church and are treating uh, maybe they are maids a different way or treating other people. I couldn't like comprehend those two uh, as a Christian. Meanwhile, I grew up, you know, uh, my dad was in the military, so I knew a lot of soldiers who didn't believe in God, but they were some of the nicest people I ever knew. Exactly. So yes, like, yes, yes, I couldn't yes. like marry those two together, you know. So coming here, uh, Nigeria is is a place where even amongst Christians, like it can be an issue not attending a church. Like if you attended a church for a year or two and moved to another church, it's almost like you joined a different set, like Bloods and Crips, yeah. a different gang or something. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like we're all Christians for Christ's sake. So yeah, how yeah. much more like a different religion or dwelling yeah. in quote, air quotes, Gentiles or unbelievers, you know, so that yeah. kind of So we, it's, it's taken me a long time. Like I, I keep saying like as much as uh, Christianity has taught taught me growing up i had to unlearn a lot of dogma and religion that i did learn courtesy of the christian faith uh, yeah yes just, just learning to love but that's a story for another day uh but yeah. you know touching a little bit about your parents uh, you did mention several times about growing up in a situation that was less than ideal but you know going to <laughs> college coming to the realization uh of 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 you know, Christianity, practicing it, having faith, walking in love, experiencing things in Japan. Do you see yourself um, having a closer relationship with your parents now? Are you forgiven of the things they put you through? Uh, Do you strive to make the family unit, your family unit stronger uh, because of what you know now, maybe because of your faith and experiences? Yeah, I think so so my faith has once again giving me a container of of where to place all that grief and suffering and pain it's also given me a profound understanding that um the world fragments people sin fragments people into doing things that they never would have imagined and um and so it's given me profound understanding and empathy uh at the same time what it does what it, <laughs> um both my faith and experience has taught me like you it also the you know i th- i think there's this like maybe christian thought or like 
weird thought about forgiveness that like forgiveness looks like opening yourself up repeatedly to have the same type of interactions. Mm. Um, and it just, it's like forgive and forget. Uh, I personally don't believe in that, <laughs> um, in that way. Uh, like, so, so it's weird. I have this juxtaposition. So I have this profound empathy and understanding, but also my parents can be pretty rough. Um, and they, in some ways they haven't changed. Um, my father is in prison for, it was attempted murder and later the person died. And we're just now starting to have even the, like the beginnings of a relationship and I'm mm. 36. Mm. So like, prob like not even a few months ago, um, we really st probably started in any meaningful way towards even moving out of um a lot of things that he did i mean even after i left the house so so we're like on that journey and mm. and so and my mom has other issues and so so i'm concentrated mostly um like on having a whole relationship with my siblings and trying to establish and forge like a deeper bond and connection with them that's based on a different kind of love and frequency than we grew up with got it are they all still in the u.s yes yeah yeah Different yeah my, my yeah my sister spent some time in china mm. um so uh which was an experience for her but uh yeah but they all are in different states so yeah Got it. Got it. I mean, I, you know, I wish you, I'm sure it is a long journey uh, to reconciliation or healing. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I wish you uh, all the best in trying to at least establish a relationship with your siblings or your parents. Uh, yeah. On the flip side, you, you record a podcast, right? You, you have uh, things you do on the side, uh, like me. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you do, what you talk about on your podcast, how often it comes out? What would yeah. you expect before it turns like trying to like leave my podcast because of my comments and you know switch uh, <laughs> to up <laughs> a more wholesome uh, content? No, so um, <laughs> no, no, I uh, so it's kind of funny. So, so two things happened at once. One, um, we so I started a podcast with with two friends that I met in. Um, Bible school, um, and really, there was never an attention to like we're going to be podcasters, right? There, mm. we are very open and honest with each other as friends. Um, they're two women, and we we've known each other since Bible school. We've walked through many um, hardships together. Um, one of my friends almost died in childbirth, and and so we've been there like siblings like since relatively 2008 2009 and mm. um we have um gone on a journey of even trying to realize what christianity really is like what is dogma what are things that we believed as conservative but they're not really in the bible mm. um what are lies in those things and like what it would yeah and so we've went through some tough times even in our faith mm. we've kind of helped each other like I don't believe in this anymore. Okay, maybe you do. What do you think? You know, and mm. so we're very brutally honest about um, some things. And so uh, at some point, one of, a, one of us just said, like, we should take our friendship to podcast format. Mm -hmm. I'm like, 
All right. So some of the sound quality from those early episodes were just terrible. I mean, because that like we weren't getting into it to be podcasters, but so we started this podcast called Where is the Lie? Where and, is the lie? Okay. Yes. And we wanted to discuss the intersection of our religion with politics, culture, and things that we're wrestling with, things that maybe we don't agree with anymore, things that are like um, difficult within the faith that we're struggling with. Mm. And so we wanted to have this this platform to show a face of Christianity that maybe, well, not maybe, I don't really see anywhere. I feel like I only see perfect Christians on, on podcasts. <laughs> and um, I, I don't know those people in real life. So I'm I, like, who are you? So we're brutally honest about things that we disagree with, whether it's politically. Um, and we're like, hey, I'm struggling with it. I don't like it. I like, you know, so so we we discuss how both our ethnic identity and cultural identity and who we are as Christians, but things we don't gel with. And, and so that podcast really took off and that people liked that brutal honesty, uh, which mm-hmm. was surprising. I didn't expect that. A lot of people from all over the world started listening, which is weird because here are these three black people talking about their experience in America, but okay, we see Australia listening to us. Like, I didn't, like, I don't know why you're listening to this, but you know, um, uh, but so that that became very meaningful because we weren't attempting to teach anyone anything. Mm. It's like we ju- we're inviting you into who we are in process and and being uh, authentic. Yeah, so it's like this is a genuine conversation, and you get to just be at the table uh, with us. And um, out of that. During that whole time, we also um, started an organization that's now my main job um, called Subculture Inc. And that organization was born out of frustration with the barriers that especially Black students have in college uh, that they that they face that are uniquely dis, uh, equipped to take them out, right? Mm. And so, so often... Uh, when doing work on college campuses, we would notice like a $30 bill would take out a student from being able to finish school. And we're like, this sucks. Like this actually sucks. And a hundred dollars would just literally wipe out a student. And, um, you know, doing a lot of work on campus, uh, our white students didn't have necessarily the same barriers. Right. Mm. So we wanted um, to create this organization that answered some of those dynamics, whether it's giving scholarships to uh, black and brown students, whether it was giving educational resources, whether it was trying to hook them up with internships if we could, if we had connections, um, uh, also providing spiritual resources that are more diverse um, than typical Christian teachings. so we wanted to answer a lot of things that people had. And so about a year and a half ago, we started the organization and it's done so well. So, so then out of that, we started another podcast um, that was a little bit more teaching based. Um, and that wasn't necessarily just us three. Mm. Um, there were other content creators. So that, that, that podcast is called the hive. The hive. And, 
Yeah. So I think the whole title subculture presents the hive podcast. And so we called it the hive because in the same way, like the, uh, a hive for bees has all of these like intricate designs. Like we wanted to present all of these different thoughts from all our different content contributors. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So we have, so it's not just me and then my other co-hosts from the other podcast. Um, every week is kind of something different. Mm. So um, it could be like a roundtable conversation. It could be a very blunt racial conversation. Mm. Um, it can be a devotional teaching from the Bible. Mm. It could be a criticism of this current administration um, in the White House. And so, so a few episodes a week that are usually short content, probably like 15 minutes, but... Mm every week presents you something completely different based upon content uh, Mm. creators. That that sounds like something I'll get into. Hey, sign me up as a guest, man. When do you record? (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I would would love that. Like, and so what that provides is like this platform where there isn't just this like staunch thought. Like we have people from across a variety of different spectrums Mm -hmm. that will come on as guests from like, I don't really believe in God (laughs) to, yeah, I believe in him, just not like y'all to like (laughs) very so so yeah so i i like it because there's kind of something for everybody on that podcast um if you want it to be like a nice christian teaching you can go there Mm -hmm. but you can also go for some spicy takes (laughs) um, to put it lightly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) so it's something for everybody you don't have to like the beauty of that is like there's a couple of episodes that come out every week. So got it. If you're like, it's more, really much want... more regular content and it's shorter too. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're like, I don't really need those devotional things, but I do want the spikes you takes, you know? So got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Do you have any advice for podcasters? I mean, I'm, advice for me, I'm asking for myself, but if you're listening, kudos to you. <laughs> like, hey, hey. As regards, you know, just the production quality or marketing, what are some things you think you've learned over the years? months or years you've been doing this that you can put out there that can help like podcasters or aspiring uh, podcasters yeah i i've learned a lot because <laughs> like i like going back and listening to the the early episodes of uh, where is the lie and you're like Whoo, why did people listen to this? this is actually like the sound quality is actually terrible mm-hmm. um especially my mix was like absolutely horrible so wait what do you um, use to edit what do you use to what uh, software do you use to capture we didn't sound? even use anything to edit it was it was a very horrible mess of a time it was just like we use this um software i think it's called telecaster okay and um we just like i was just using my laptop mm. like it wasn't a special microphone it was just like hey i'm here mm. record um on there it was a ma- it was it was um so the things that I would say if I would give advice is something that we did have um, is we had um, the synergy uh, and um, our content, like the, the the production of what we talked about was good, mm-hmm. even though the sound quality was bad. And that people really were attracted to that. Mm. Um, and so they were like, there can be this perfectionistic thing within podcasts and with, with people who podcast that they're like, I just wanted to sound great. I want it to be great. I want it to well, sound the content like it's lacking. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. Or I want it to sound like NPR because you know, like listening to oh, NPR, NPR is like that. Crazy. You, I, I'm I'm so sorry to cut you short. I just no, have to chip fine. this. You know, I was guy guy tweeted me back, and everyone who owns a podcast knows guy guy Raz that yeah, that yeah, does yeah, the yeah. NPR how I built this yeah. and a bunch of other podcasts. Yeah. Like he put something on Twitter where him and his team were working remotely for NPR, that's National Public Radio's How I Built This Podcast, which is a popular podcast here in the U.S. and I guess all over the world. And this was a team of like 13, 14 people to produce a freaking podcast. I do mine myself. Then he hit me why their podcast was so good. I was like, you guys have this many producers? Like you have this big a team to produce one podcast, 13 people? And he was like, yeah, I have a bunch of people do research, a bunch of people do post-production, a bunch of people, you know, he does recording, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. And these are all salaried people, people on, maybe they have a couple of interns, but they're mostly I said, I'm doing it one person alone and I'm doing it throughout like the wonder mine is so shitty compared to yeah, like NPR compares. or something. Yeah, yeah. And so the advice that I would give is like to give yourself permission to be in the season that you're in with podcasting like mm. um because like speaking like i love this podcast called the stoop and oh my gosh you should listen to that i think you would really really like that i'll actually text that to you um be, okay yeah because they have all of these different perspectives and they their sound quality is good their engineering is great like it's it's a beautiful it's like a masterpiece listening to it actually um that's even before you get to the content of what they're talking about um but i was i would say just like be in the season you're in like allow yourself we, to grow yeah so like mm. I, we just kind of had to establish like we don't have the best stuff it's not going to sound that great mm. but what we can concentrate on is content mm. and every 6 months try to improve something you know, and so that has allowed us to, um, you know, eventually we found this app called Anchor. Um, mm. And Anchor is beautiful. It's a beautiful app. Um, there's problems that I would say aren't the best in it, but yeah, that allows to do some post-production stuff. And you can put like sound, you can edit through the app. And it also allows like, let's say you're traveling and you don't have all this stuff. You can literally just use your phone through the Anchor app and it doesn't sound terrible like um and so yeah so the anchor app is good um and and you can make a you know some money off of having ads on anchor ads. oh so, you're yeah. making money how many listeners yeah. you have every week I'm yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean it's not like, I mean, like if you, you don't need to answer that <laughs> it would be banging but like mm. every person that listens gives you a couple cents like which when you're doing it for free like beautiful <laughs> like yeah in a couple cents so like maybe after like depending on how many listeners and it and it shows your your analytics too which is awesome too and it um so so yeah i would just say be in the season that you're in and also try to make strategic friendships with other people that is that's been something that we've really kind of concentrated on is we want to uplift other podcasters and they want to uplift us. And, and mm. so that's kind of been beautiful because there's things that we can learn by how they do interviews or like I, I'm learning from you, like how you're choosing to conduct this interview is not how I do it. But then that that adds to my knowledge. Right. So 
Hey, man, the objective of my podcast is totally selfish. I'm doing all this for me. I'm documenting my thoughts yeah. <laughs> and opinions out yeah. there in the ethos. So whoever yeah. comes along for the ride, hey, the bus is moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I It's think, all good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I really yeah. appreciate it. Um, I always like to give my guests a couple of minutes to kind of like have the floor. Um, I try my best to kind of like ask, ask questions that you might be interested in, but in case there's something I did not ask that you want to like speak about, or, you know, you just want to talk about um, what you're doing on the side, or, you know, you want to give out your social media handles for people who might be interested in continuing the conversation with you, uh, you can kind of like do that uh, in the next couple of minutes. Sweet. So uh, I don't have much, but if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's, uh, I think it's Robert J. Monson, M-O-N-S-O-N. That's where I'm the most active. Um, find me. Uh, have, I told you you have, a re- have I told you that you have a really billionaire sounding name? Like Robert uh, J. Yeah, Monson. Yeah. Right? That's something I put on the, <laughs> on the company letterhead or something. <laughs> um, I wish that transferred to my bank account. Um, hey, uh, hey, 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 I received it. So, um, so Robert J. Monson, M-O-N-S-O-N, um, I love engaging people on Twitter. And, um, the only thing that, that I would say that, that I didn't really get a chance to talk about is like, um, all of my life kind of has led up to this moment of doing the work that I do with college students, because living in a different country being exposed to different ways of thinking has showed me coming back to America that, wow, culture and ethnic identity really shapes how you see the world, it shapes how you move throughout the world. And um, there are these unique experiences that um, are, are that are uniquely shaped for each individual person. So concentrating on Black students, um, has been beautiful because the work that I get to do, whether it's writing an article on our website, um, subseastudents.com is that website. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see a lot of like my writing and other people's writing um, or giving a scholarship, like the first scholarship we gave, man, that just felt like a million bucks because like, I think it was only a couple hundred dollars, but I just, I'll never forget that kid's face. Like, smiling so big and i'm thinking wow like just these small gifts really can like change people's whole lives so in that way i feel like i'm making a difference in the world and that that is very meaningful to me and like i love what i get to do for work and i love like getting to meet new people and etc etc so yeah so that that's all that i would say i'm glad that I even connected with you, Nelson, because I I love Africans, as I've already said, um, but then I really, really love Nigerians. So then going to, I met you at a, a Nigerian birthday party. So that was like, mm. all of my worlds were colliding. Um, so, <laughs> so I was like, it's right? so cool to me. Uh, so yeah, yeah, so that's what I would say. Yeah, I really appreciate it, man. Let me apologize to those. Uh, I'm not sure, like I've been doing a lot of uh, recordings because uh, most of my podcast is typically audio when I used to do in person, but because of the pandemic, I've been doing a lot of recordings on Zoom, so I'm capturing both video and audio. So sometime in the future, I might put this up 
on YouTube. I'll definitely go with audio first, but maybe sometime in the future, I might like really settle down and uh, rebrand my YouTube channel. So let me just apologize to everyone looking at me recording in the dark right now. Um, I mean, it was like, what, like 6 p.m. when we started recording. It was a yeah. little bright out, but I should have like put the light on in the room. I didn't want to like stand up or pause the podcast when we're having such an organic conversation. So you guys yeah. enjoy the darkness of my screen. Red lips. Let me know what you think. <laughs> in, oh the meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, follow Culture Class Podcast everywhere. Uh, it's Culture Class Podcast on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, it's Culture Class Pod on Twitter. Send us an email, cultureclasspodcast uh, at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. We're, we're looking forward to your feedback. And stay safe uh, during this uh, pandemic. And if you're listening to this many months from now, after the pandemic, hope you're surviving the zombie apocalypse. All right, guys. <laughs> Take care. Yes.